0: I want to introduce to you our very special Mother's Day speaker. Courtney Blankenship is married to DJ. They have three kids, live on a farm in Giles County. Courtney has been a nurse for 10 years in the emergency department at Giles Community Hospital. Her sweet mother, Melody, Charlie Price, Who is in glory today was in the ministry for over 30 years impacting many churches many lives in the new river valley last october at our women's conference here the lord used courtney in a mighty way to minister to our ladies and i am honored to introduce her to bring the word of the lord today courtney come and share what the spirit has directed you to share from heaven's throne would you welcome her as she comes to share the word of god If you, ask you Church of God, happy Mother's Day. There's always a good time to be in the church. It don't matter what Sunday you come. But there's something special about coming to church on a Mother's Day. Especially if you have the privilege, and I mean privilege, of coming with your own mother. Today, I'll be honest, I had prepared a greeting. I was going to talk about, about coming up here and speaking and how nervous I was. But as I come up here this morning, the only emotion that I really feel right now is, Is humbled I am humbled that God gave me the opportunity to be here I am humbled and I was thinking about how I was gonna say how nervous I was but I came to the realization if I got up here and the only thing I said was how nervous I was because the sanctuary looks so much bigger up here than it does down there I realized that it would be as if I was saying I was getting up here all by myself and that wouldn't be the truth The only reason that I'm standing up here today is because God made the decision to come up here with me. I couldn't do it without him. I wouldn't do it without him. And today I am blessed and I have this opportunity and I am so, so very humbled. The second thing I wanted to do before I got started was just to thank you. I wanted to thank you for the love and compassion that you've shown my family over the past couple of years. I got to be honest with you about something the very first time mom asked me to come to this church I walked in here and I was just amazed at how big it was my mom was a minister as pastor Don said and a lot of her ministry took place in smaller or moderate sized churches in fact the smallest one was a little white church it's set up on the hill in Hiawassee and on any given Sunday night you could believe that it would be my mom my brother me the pastor and his wife in attendance and that was it That was until the Lord moved and the church grew. It didn't even have indoor plumbing. I had a yellow porta potty out by an oak tree. That's all I had. You know, we knew how to suffer for the Lord back in those days. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad. But I remember thinking in a church this big, how you could have those personal relationships that I was used to experiencing in smaller churches. And I'm kind of worried about it, but I got to say, Pulaski Church of God, y'all really do it right. I can't think of a time that I've ever walked in this church that I haven't been greeted by a smile, a handshake. Somebody hasn't invited me to a meeting or a Sunday school class. They haven't got my children's involved in something. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for pouring into my life. Thank you for pouring into DJ's life and the life of our children. Y'all do a fantastic job. You are wonderful. I cannot say enough good things about you. But I know it's Mother's Day and y'all got places to be. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna get started. If you would, this morning, please turn with me in your Bible to 1st King, chapter eight, verse 14. And we're gonna go all the way to 24. And when you have it, you can go ahead and stand for the reading and the reverence of God's word. And he said, and the king turned his face about And blessed all the congregation of Israel and all the congregation of Israel stood and he said blessed be the Lord God of Israel which spake with his mouth unto David my father and had with his hand fulfilled it saying since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house that my name might be therein but I chose David to be over my people Israel And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thine heart to build a house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. Nevertheless, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son that shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house unto my name. And the Lord hath performed his word that he has spake. And I have risen up in the room of David, my father, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and have built a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And I have set there a place for the ark wherein the covenant of the Lord, which, has, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel. And he spread forth his hand to heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or earth beneath, who keepeth covenant and mercy with thy servant and walk before thee with all thine heart, who has kept with thy servant David my father, that thou hast promised him, that spaketh also with thy mouth and hath fulfilled it with thine hand as it is this day. If you would please stretch your hand toward me this morning and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and your many blessings, Lord. Lord, I ask that I come before you this morning, Lord, as a faithful servant. I pray, God, that you give me the words to say, Father God, that you would have me to say, that you would lead and direct me, Father God, in the way which you would have me to go. God, I pray you give me anointing that makes teaching come easy, Father God, and that you be with us today in the hearts and mind of all the people within this congregation. In Jesus' blessed and holy name we pray amen you may be seated as the pastor has already said I am the mother of three beautiful children DJ and I are truly blessed we have two boys and one little girl Our little girl is the middle child. She's about nine years old. And if I had to describe Sadie in a little bit of words, I would say that she really has a servant's heart. She really does love people. So much, in fact, a couple years ago the children and I decided that we were going to start a card ministry and we were going to pick a couple people in the community to send cards to that we felt like would appreciate getting a card. Uh, It didn't take long for Sadie to kind of overtake that for me. She likes to go to the Dollar Tree. She likes to pick out the cards. She likes to buy stickers to put on the cards. And not only that, she makes sure she signs each and every one of them and that her brothers come into the house from whatever they're doing and they sign them too. That's because Sadie just loves people and we are so proud of her. If I had to talk a little bit about my youngest son, he's a little redhead and his name is John. John. If you ever had the honor of meeting John, I doubt that you left his presence not smiling or laughing. John came to us in a time where we needed a reason to smile, and I feel like God gives you exactly what you need. John has kept us smiling ever since he was born. DJ and I will often joke that we thought we knew how to be parents when Raylan and Sadie, and then we found out we knew nothing once John came along. He has marched through the beat of his own drum since day one, but we love him and we just enjoy everything. He has taught us a lot about patience. As special as all of my children are to me, I wanted to start out today by talking a little bit about my oldest son. Many of you may recognize him. He's a little bit of a church celebrity. You see, if you've ever overpaid for a coconut cake, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Raylan, for the past two years, has served as the youth cake auctioneer at the yearly dessert auction. I'm not really sure how he got that job. All I know is one day I came over here for a shoebox packing party, and Raylan had somehow made his way to Jeremy, and somehow they worked out some kind of agreement that Raylan was going to be the auctioneer at the next cake auction. Raylan gets into the car, and he proudly starts informing me that he's going to be the auctioneer and that we needed to practice. Practice involved me holding up an empty hand like this and saying something like, "All right, Raylan, here's a coconut cake." Raylan would start rambling off all the numbers like an auctioneer would do and me and Raylan or me and Sadie and John would start placing fake bids. Raylan practiced very hard. And when that day came, he got up there and he knew exactly what to do. He stood there with as much professionalism that I've ever seen a nine-year-old boy possess. And he sold each and every one of those cakes. DJ and I could not have been more proud if he would have hit the game-winning home run as we loaded all eight of our cakes into the back of the Suburban. (laughs) As pumped as Raylan was for the opportunity, I would imagine that not every 10-year-old boy would jump at the opportunity to be the auctioneer for the day. But you see, my Raylan is not a typical 10-year-old boy. You see, when the conversation came up about auctioneering, Raylan knew exactly what they were talking about. Because it has literally been part of his life since the day he was born. At just four weeks old, we strapped Raylan into his car seat. We loaded up in the back of an old Dodge pickup truck, and he hauled his first load of cattle to the market. On his second Christmas, when most kids would celebrate with a shiny red tricycle, Raylan celebrated with his very first red white-faced cow. (laughs) At just five years old, long before he became a church auctioneer, He got his very first job at the Nara's Livestock Market, pushing the cattle through the scale house. He had his own special seat that he would reach over the fence and use a flag to move them forward. He was so enthralled by that first job, he was adamant that he could not miss a single Saturday. So DJ and I had to work out sometimes how we were going to get him down there for just 30 minutes or so, just so he wouldn't be mad the rest of the day. He loved it so much that one time he was asked to be a ring bearer in a wedding, and he told the groom that he absolutely could not do it, but thanks for asking. The groom was a little confused. He said, well, buddy, why don't you want to be in my wedding? And Raylan said, well, it's on a Saturday, and I have to work that day. (laughs) If you talk to my son for any given amount of time, you'll realize he's not just a 10-year-old boy. He's also a cattleman. He can talk about it with as much confidence and knowledge as a man who has been doing it his whole life. But how does a boy so young become so knowledgeable and passionate about something? Well, what I can tell you that didn't happen is Raylan didn't just wake up one morning all on his own and decided he wanted to be a farmer. He didn't jump on the opportunity to be an auctioneer not knowing what he was getting getting himself into. Raylan's passion for farm life has been fueled out by a legacy that stretches on for generations before he was even born. It came from a father who carried a small child into a sale barn at any given sale. It came from a grandfather who never failed to take him out in the field just to spend time with him. And it came from people that Raylan never met that built the fence and cleared the land and weathered the storm so that one day Raylan could build on that shared passion. You see, my boy is a lot like David's boy. My railing is a lot like Solomon. As we read the words of Solomon in the scriptures earlier, we are reading the words of a man who has accomplished his lifetime achievement. He has completed a work for which he was created to do. But we have to recognize that that passion, that drive, that desire wasn't created even of himself. It came from a vision that was passed down from his father. David. We know David as a man after God's own heart. No one in here can refute that, God, or that David often sought God's direction and will for his life. He had a deep personal relationship with the Lord. And although he made his mistakes, he was quick to find his way back onto the path that God had put him on. We know he was a worshiper, a musician, and a writer of Psalms. So none of us in this room should be confused when we hear that David had a heart to build the temple. One night, uh, David was up in his palace... He's enjoying all the grandeur that a king of that time would enjoy. He's enjoying, he's sitting in the lap of luxury. He has everything he wants at his fingertips. And he comes to the realization that while he's up there in that palace, the Ark of the Covenant is out in a field somewhere under a tent. So he calls for the the prophet Nathan, and he tells him his idea. He says, I want to build the temple. And and at first Nathan's like, yeah, man, let's do it. He encourages it. But later after he goes home, Nathan gets the word from the Lord. That no, David cannot build my temple Why? It seemed like the right time Israel was prospering They were powerful They were in the right financial position They had a leader Who God literally chose Hand picked him from his brothers And chose to do the job They had a, a leader who was described As a man after God's own heart And yet God's answer Was still No He explained to David, you see, you're a man of war. You have blood on your hands. You're not qualified to build the temple. But he also promised David that day that he would establish his house forever and his son would sit on his throne and that his mercy would never leave him and that he would be the one to build the temple. And David rejoices. I think any parent in this room, if God exposed to us such a divine plan for our children, we would respond in much the same way. We would jump, we would dance, we would sing, we would praise God, we would get on Facebook and start telling people, look what the Lord has done. But like any other parent, David realized that in order for the work to be completed, there were some things he was going to have to do to prepare his son. As parents, we spend a lot of time preparing children. We work hard to give them all the necessary tools that they need to be successful human beings. But as important as it is to prepare them academically, to prepare them developmentally, to prepare them socially, let me tell you today that it will all be for nothing if you're not as intentional about preparing them spiritually. If each child is designed and created, as I believe, with a unique calling upon their life, then each parent is assigned the job of preparation. It was a job that David understood. As with any building project you go out to do, you must first select the spot that you plan to build upon. It would do you no good to call a builder or go on down to Clayton Homes and pick you out a house and pick out the tile and pick out the bathtub and pick out the carpet and fill out the paperwork and get all the way to the end. And when the builder says, now, Courtney, where can I deliver that house? For me to look at them and say, well, I hadn't really thought about it. I have no idea. You see, before you can even start building a house, you have to first choose the location. And not only must you have the location, many times you have to have the foundation already laid. The temple was no different. It required a physical location. And I would like to tell you that it came from David riding out into the countryside one time and finding the most beautiful hillside with the most beautiful view. And he said, you know what, I'm going to purchase this land, and this is where my son's going to build his temple. But that would be a lie. In fact, if you read the story and you study it, you find that the purchased land was actually bought because it was an acknowledgment by David that he had sinned against God. You see, David decided one day that he was going to do a census. And he was going to count the children of Israel, and at the surface level, that doesn't seem so bad. He's just counting them. But there's a certain reason why people believe that this was a sin against God. One, it showed a lack of faith in David. He was more faithful in the number of people that he had that he could complete a job, more so than he was in the power of God to complete it himself. Another plausible reason that I studied was that in Exodus 30 verse 12 the children of Israel were commanded that every time they took a census that a ransom must be paid for every man his own soul and that money was collected and then used in the service of the tabernacle. They were told at that time if they failed to do this that a plague would befall them. I don't know if that's the actual reason, but I didn't read anywhere in the chapter where money was collected from the children of Israel. And all I do know is that a plague did fall upon them. David actually get the option. He could ever have seven years of famine, three months of running from his enemies, or three days of pestilence. And David did what a lot of us in this room would do, and he chose the shorter option. The pestilence comes, and 70,000 people die. Gad then comes to David and says for him to go to the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. He is to purchase it and build an altar there. David does what he's instructed to do. He buys the threshing floor. He builds an altar. He offers up his sacrifices. And God accepts those sacrifices and the plagues stop. It would be at that same location that later Solomon would build his temple. As parents, we have to make the decision on what we will choose as the foundation of our lives. As seen in the example of David, how you get there is not the most important factor. Your history, your past, your childhood trauma, your failed relationship is not the overpowering part of the story. The day you made the conscious decision to get up on top of that hillside and start clearing away everything that separated you from the Lord and breaking off the things of yourself that no longer fit the mold that God was desiring you to be and brick by brick you built an altar, and you offered yourself as a living sacrifice, let me tell you what nobody tells you, no lie that anybody has said to you, that is the most important part of your story. That's where it really begins. And that part of clearing, of building, will also be the part where your child's story will begin. I think it's no mistake that the place of the first temple was also a threshing floor. You see, a threshing floor is where the hard work of separation takes place. It's where the farmer separates the grain from the chaff. That's what's desirable and valuable from that which is waste. In our own homes, sometimes we have to do the hard work of separation. We don't like that word in the church anymore. Separate. It seems kind of isolating. We don't want to be thought of as weird. And we certainly don't want that for our children. In fact, we work so hard to give our kids everything... In our own minds, sometimes we start believing that everything means everything every other kid has. Every experience that other, every other kid gets to do. We want our kid to be equal with everybody else. But sometimes we have to start separating things and we have to start setting standards for our children We have to decide what is holy from what is unholy what is acceptable from what is unacceptable What mommy's gonna allow and what she's not gonna allow these standards need to be clear in your home So when you're not there when they're out there by themselves when they're in the school or at a sleepover Or hanging out with a friend when something happens. They know exactly how mommy and daddy would feel about it There should be no question in their mind how daddy and mommy would respond my cousin called me earlier this week and he is preparing for a men's devotional study and he called me because I'm kind of like his sounding board and he's kind of like mine and we just go back and forth all the time and he called me and he shared with me a story and I am so glad that he did because I stole it and I'm gonna share it with you now he told me that he had been reading about these scientists down in Florida And these scientists had got this great idea that they were going to take a little bird and a snake and they were going to put them in a cage together. Now, that seems kind of cruel to me, right? But I guess if you call it science, you can get away with anything. So if they put a little bird in the cage, they put the snake in the cage. At first, it goes exactly how you think it would go. The bird stays on one side of the cage, the snake stays on the other. If that snake starts moving, that bird starts moving. But the longer the little bird was in the cage, the more comfortable it became with the snake. So much, in fact, that when the mouth of the snake opened one day, the little bird flew inside. And the snake did what snakes do. We have to be intentional that the environments that we are creating for our children protect them from the outside influences that would separate them from the love of God. The foundations of our home have to be on hope and love and the truth that God has more to offer your children than the world could ever give them. We have to be intentional about where we build our homes. The second thing that David did to support his son in the building of the temple was he started to collect all the resources needed for the build. In Second Chronicles 22, it said David prepared abundantly for his son was young and tender. It is recorded that David collected an abundance of gold and silver and iron and brass and wood and stone. Not only that, he started to network with different contractors and different tradesmen and get them all lined up so that when Solomon decided it was time to build the temple, they would be ready. For anyone who's ever signed their child up for rec league sports, you know the thing that happens after you sign all those permission slips is they hand you a slip of all the equipment they want you to buy. This is things like cleats and and shin guards and baseball gloves. No parent in this room would ever think about sending their kid out on the field without the necessary equipment. We need to be just as intentional about making sure we're sending our children out in the world spiritually equipped. Our children are going to learn by watching what you do, how you respond, how you serve, how you live. It's more than just taking them to church on Sundays and Wednesday nights and to Sunday school and church camp. It is a culture that should be lived within your home daily. Yeah. Your child knows how often you open that Bible. They know how often you kneel to pray. They know exactly how you spend every minute of your day. You can fool a lot of people in your life. You can fool the pastor. You can fool the pastor's wife. You can fool your church groups. But let me tell you one thing. You will never fool your child. And how you choose to live your life is going to impact them for the rest of theirs. We have to be intentional. We have to be intentional to teach them to read God's word, to pray, to seek out his voice, to serve the community and their church. We need to tell them intentionally about a man named Jesus. Yeah, I was blessed in my own life to be raised by three powerhouses for the Lord. In today's culture, I think we would call them prayer warriors. One was my great-grandmother, who everybody called Malby. Her real name was Francis. My grandmother, whose name was Barbara, and my mama, who I call Mama, but I'll call her Charlie today. Uh... <laughs> If you walked into my great grandmother's house at any given time, you would find her sitting in a rocking chair, her head bowed, her Bible stretched across her legs praying. She was such a prayer warrior. I can count to you the times I have either heard somebody else tell me or have seen it in my own life where I would be burdened by something or upset about something. And I would get home and the phone would ring and it would be my mall B, And she would be telling me exactly what I prayed about, exactly what I was worried about. And I didn't tell her nothing. Mall B., the best thing that she ever did is she passed it on to Barbara. Barbara would get a phone call. It didn't matter what time of day. Somebody from the church would be upset about something. As soon as she clicked that phone, you would hear her go down to the basement. And a couple minutes later, you would hear the sound of her prayers coming up through the floorboards. The best thing that Barbara did was pass it on to Charlie. Yeah. I can tell you about a time we had taken a family trip down to Disney World. We were staying in the resort, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, my God called my mama to prayer. She felt something in her spirit wasn't right. She was worried. She got up. She went down to the pool. She started walking around that pool praying until she felt the peace come upon her. We're traveling home that day. We're going from Georgia to South Carolina, and we're following behind a tractor-trailer truck. While we're falling behind that truck, something pops off the side of that truck, comes bouncing down the highway. We later found out it was part of a brake shoe. It was a heavy piece of metal, it was about that big, and it was moving at such a speed, it was bouncing. My dad couldn't go to the left, he couldn't go to the right, he told us to brace for impact, we were going to get hit. It came straight through our windshield and landed between the seat of me and my brother in the back. My dad pulls over to the side of the road, and my brother is in the back seat, and he looks around. He said, are y'all all all right? Is anybody hurt? And my brother says, Dad, I think it hit me. His very words were, Justin, if it hit you, you would be dead. (laughs) Justin took off his ball cap, he ran his hand over his head, and he came back with a palm full of blood. They took him to the hospital. He had about a three-inch laceration to the top of his head that didn't even require staples or stitches. He walked away without any other scratch upon him. But I'm going to tell you something, if B hadn't equipped Barbara and Barbara hadn't equipped Charlie, I would be standing up here today a brotherless sister. It's important that your kids know, no matter what happens, whether mommy and daddy aren't here, that they can get a hold of God, that they don't need you all the time to get a hold of him for them, but you equip them that so when you're long gone, when they're out of your home, they know how to do it all by themselves. The last thing that David did to prepare Solomon was the very thing that made him unqualified for the job. He battled. Solomon was able to build the temple because, as he said in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 4, But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurring. That peace on every side came from a daddy who was willing to go to battle. Any parent in this room would do anything necessary to protect their children. You would even put yourself in harm's way if it meant that your child would be safe. I can remember one time my little girl, Sadie, got admitted to the hospital. And as a nurse, I can tell you she was a horrible patient. She cried the entire time we were there. It was awful. My nerves were shot. I was doing anything in my power to appease her. And I get this bright idea that I'm going to give her a bath. So I run up the bathwater, and I go and I get Sadie, and I'm getting her ready. And I realize they had put one of those anti-theft child devices on her ankle. I call for the nurse, and I tell her what I want to do, and I asked her very politely to take that ankle bracelet off. That nurse said, nope, I can't do it. It's hospital policy. That ankle bracelet has got to stay there the entire time the child is here. That's not what I wanted to hear. So me and the nurse go back and forth. I'm I'm begging. I'm pleading. I'm like, you know, if you just do this for me, please. I don't know what else to do. We are literally the only patient on this floor today. We will put it right back on. We'll do whatever we have to do. The nurse is unrelenting. She will not do it. I'm getting a little frustrated, and I notice that DJ's sitting over in the chair, and he's watching this whole exchange. And I get this idea in my head, like I sometimes do, that maybe is isn't from the Lord. Um, But I got this idea in my head, and I point over at DJ who's in the chair. DJ, would you just stand up for a minute? Stand up. Thank you. I point over at DJ in the chair, and I said, ma'am, do you see this man over here? He is my anti-child-taking device. I understand that if somebody comes in this room and they try to steal Sadie, that your little ankle bracelet, it's going to beep. But let me tell you something. Somebody come here and touch Sadie, and that man right there is going to stop him. I may be little, but I guarantee you, if you put a hand on my child, you're going to find out how scrappy I can be. We would do anything in the world to protect our children. But we also have to recognize that while our children are in this world, they are threatened by a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me tell you, he has his eyes fixated on the children. He knows if he can keep them from ever having a personal experience with Jesus, if he can distract them with material things, if he can keep them in the evil doctrine of selfishness that the world teaches, then he knows he can lead them like lambs to the slaughter. Our kids are being exposed to things in places we once thought of as safe. Local libraries are advertising drag queen story hour. You turn on the Disney channel and you're greeted by an animated cartoon of a lesbian hero who is becoming a witch and it all takes place within the demonic realm. You hand your kids your phone and you click on YouTube kids thinking it's safe. You have just tainted them one of the most useful tools to introduce children to child porn or to ch- pornography. He's attacking them mentally. I cannot tell you the times as a nurse I have stood in the room with a child as they have explained to me in detail how they plan to end their own life. And I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about kids younger than the age of 10 who shouldn't even know what the word suicide means. He's threatening their identity. He's telling them to explore their sexuality. And he's putting people in their lives that are telling them that they don't have to tell mom. They don't need mom's consent. They don't need dad's permission. That they should just be doing what they think is right. And they're teaching them this stuff. And they can go to the counselor in school and talk about it. And you may never even know what's going on. It's not just mental. It's physical. I took a class recently. It was a pediatric class taught by a pediatric nurse who had been doing it a long time. She told us that for the first time in her career, homicide had moved up to the second leading cause of death in all children ages 1 to 17. That's just not because of mass shootings that are happening in our school systems. It's also because of the pandemic when things were getting uh, serious at home and they couldn't go anywhere, they couldn't send their kids to daycare or to school, and those people that are trained to look for signs of abuse were no longer around those children, and the stress at home was high. They saw that there was an uptick in homicides within the walls of children's own homes. I'm not telling you this stuff this morning to scare you. I'm telling you this so you recognize the battle we're already in. Our children are highly sought after. We should be alert to the things that threaten them. We should pray for God's guidance and his hand of protection to be upon them. We should be willing to stand up to those influences that seek to derail our children from the truth of God's world. The devil doesn't want your child to fulfill their purpose. He doesn't want a bold generation of young believers willing to spread God's word to the masses who will unapologetically live their life in such a way that no worldly confusion can deter them from what they were called to build. I know this is a Mother's Day service and you expected me to come up here and talk about mothers. I might have disappointed you a little bit, but I'm about to redeem myself. Give me just a second. If you read the story in its entirety... And you get to 1 Kings chapter 1, you'll find that David's getting ready to die. He's laying on his deathbed, and he's getting ready to pass away. And all of Israel notices it. It's during this time that his son, Ajaniah decides to take it upon himself to become king. And without his dad's permission, without his consent, he goes out and he does all the things that someone who was ascending to a kingship would do. But you know what? Word got back to the palace. And word got back to Bathsheba. You see, Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon, and she already knew that Solomon was the promised king of Israel, that he'd already been selected, that he'd already been ordained, and that God's hand was on him to do a special work. So Bathsheba does what any mother would do, and she goes before the king. She knows somebody's about to steal something from her boy that is rightfully him. So she goes before the king, and she starts reminding him of all the things that he promised her. Sometimes as a mama when we realize that somebody's trying to take something from our child when the thief is coming to attack them Sometimes we boldly have to go and stand before the king and we have to start proclaiming the things We already know is true over their life We got to start speaking the promises that we've heard over their life since the day they were born and we have to call Out to them because the devil he's trying to take your children Sometimes you have to just look him in the face and say get your hand off my kid go back to hell from where you came from Because if my child was put here to make something of himself if my child was put here to build something for the Lord If he's gonna build something you better believe this mama's gonna battle. I will battle every single day I will battle so that they can build You can come on Tony It's mother's day I didn't think it would be right If I didn't talk about this a little bit for the, past, for the first 32 years of my life, I was blessed to live under the shadow of one of the most godly women to ever walk this earth. As a young mother, she had to make the conscious decision that even if she had to do it all on her own, she was going to take her two babies to church. So every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, she got them babies ready, she put them in the car, she drove them to church not only that in her own home she started telling them about a man named Jesus she taught them how to work in the church and to pray and to love people those two kids at any given day they can take you back to the places in their house that their mama kneeled in prayer they can take you to the old cedar chest in her bedroom where she would kneel and she would look out the window and she would pray for hours they can take you to the corner they used to hide behind so they can make sure mama wasn't praying about them They could take you to the back of the farm where there's an old stump where mom used to go just so she could get away from the noise and hear from the Lord. They could take you to the multiple pulpits that she stood behind as she ministered to people with the Word of God. And they can give you a long, expansive list of all the lives that were touched just because Charlie Price existed. It's Mother's Day, and this is her Bible. Nobody in this room would question if this Bible was well used. The spine's broken. The pages are worn. But if I was to pass it around today and share with you what is the most precious part about this Bible to me, it's in the front and back covers. You see, my mom wrote down every promise that God ever gave her about herself and her children. If I was to pass this around, you would find in her own handwriting that it's written... He'll lead. The load will be lifted. The enemy desired to shift her, her, like wheat. But God will work all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Given the date that this was written, I knew it came at a time where my mom was struggling. And I was the reason for her struggle. I know it came from a lot of sleepless nights. And tear prayers. And wondering what she had done wrong along the way. That a child that she had raised to love the, world, love, love the Lord had turned and run to the world so quickly. I know it came from a battle. It's a battle that I'm glad she took on. Because everything that I'm able to accomplish. Everything that I'm able to build. Everything that is good for me at this point on. Came from a mama who went to war for me. So if I don't get to do anything else this morning, I thought I'd take a little bit of time and thank my mama. Thanks, Mom. Thank you for clearing the way. Thanks for making a safe parameter for me and Justin. Thank you for intentionally teaching us and preparing us and equipping us with God's word. Thank you for battling for me so that I could build. That's all I want for my kids. That's all I want. They don't make $100,000 or a million dollars if they never are on the world stage for anything in their life, but they love Jesus. And they get to the point where they said, Thank you, Mom. You showed me the way. That's all I want. That's all I want. If you're here today and you're a mom and a dad in the house and you're raising a family and you're saying, that's all I want to, I want God's direction. I want his hand upon our life. I want him to strengthen me so I can do this calling of preparation. I want when my kids leave the home, they know exactly what to do in the Lord. If that's you this morning, this altar's open. I would love to pray with you if you're in the house this morning and you know that your child's being attacked physically, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally, if you know there's things going on in their life and you've been crying and you can't sleep and you've been praying and you've been questioning, if God even hears you, you're welcome to come to this altar. This battleground is open for you. When a bunch of men in the military gather together for battle, it's called a band of brothers. But when a bunch of mothers gather together to pray for their children, it's called a band of mothers. Would you come? Would you come?